I love the smell of commerce in the morning. Why are we at the mall? Listen, we just spent an entire season hanging out at Quick Stop on the Jay and Silent Bob Minute, and I thought we could use some new scenery. But why the mall? It has everything we need. A cookie stand, a magic eye poster, and Stan Lee. It would be better if Batman was here. Ben Affleck is here. <sighs> I guess that's close enough. If you've enjoyed this witty banner, please join us this season on Jay and Silent Bob Minute as we discuss Kevin Smith's mall rats. Snoochy boochies. We will figure out why this original opening exists, why Shannon Doherty keeps changing outfits, and why that kid is back on the escalator again. So join us for all the chocolate-covered pretzels you can eat. On Jane Silent Bob Minute on Dueling Genre. and welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week I am joined by special guest Kevin Helps to discuss Captain James T. Kirk from Star Trek. Hello! Welcome, Kevin. So glad to have you here. I'm so excited to be here, talking about Trek. Can you remember your first Star Trek experience? Yes, it's actually very easy for me. I was in college, I was dating a girl who was a big Trekkie. And um, she said, you should watch Star Trek. And ever since fifth grade, I knew I was the sort of person who should be watching Star Trek. I just didn't really ever have that nudge. Oh, and my sister got into it in childhood. So clearly it was lame. (laughs) Um, But uh, so I watched original series um, first. And that was the thing is we would start each episode at like 11 p.m., which is the ideal way. To watch the original series. Like, that's... Because it's it's accidental comedy all over the place. And it gets a lot better. And some of the less well-aged aspects of it <laughs> are, are less alarming when you're very tired. So, yeah, I mean, this, this, we're talking about the original series here. And yeah. so it is... Uh, 50 years old? What are we doing? Oh my gosh, oh, I don't know. Uh, I think it's 60. 60? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. well yeah, it's, it's in the mid-60s, so yeah. I was trying to do math on so air. So 50 which plus. Is, no, never do math when you're... Understood. Yeah. <laughs> you know, without preparation, <laughs> but but yeah, so so there are aspects of both just the way television shows were done, the way science fiction was done, right. uh, and uh, uh, in terms of both the kind of plots you're going to see, but also just the kind of effects that are, were available right. uh, at the time that have not aged particularly well. Yeah. And, and that's even acknowledging... This is a classic series for a reason. It's a franchise for a reason. There's a lot to love about this. But right. sure, there's some parts that maybe you're going to chuckle as a viewer in 2019 watching these shows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and because um, like I watched the pilot, uh, I was like, oh, I should watch Star Trek again on my lunch break. So this was like three years ago. And um, the sexism is kind of <laughs> present. It's like, wow, this is... This is something. <laughs> yeah. And it's just casual. It, it, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's just the way things were. Right? Really progressive for its time, if I understand right. Yes, particularly. Well, not it, for our time. And like, it's one of the most um, uh, uh, multiracial cla- uh, casts on television. Yeah. Uh, then and for decades. Like, it took a while for television to start catching up. That's a good point. See all of NBC's comedies that are classics from the 80s and 90s <laughs> for television. Not quite catching up to Star Trek. That's true. <laughs> 
Um, and a lot of the themes that it was doing were, were very progressive. But yes, there is just some casual sexism that rears yeah. its head in several of the episodes. Well, I guess having a Russian on board was pretty revolutionary in the 60s. Too. Yeah, when Chekhov came on. I think that's yeah. in the second season he came on. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're in the midst of the Cold War. And look, hey, we're all working together. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, like, famously, Uhura, Uhura and uh, Kirk's kiss in the episode with Apollo. I can't remember the name of the episode, but it's the first interracial yeah. kiss on television. Yeah. Um, and, and Uhura is just part of the crew there. And, and like, in one of the episodes we're watching, like, she she's the communications officer, but then she's asked to step up to navigation. She just does. She walks right over. <laughs> she's she's going to be the navigator. You know, she's just yeah. one of the competent members of the crew, and it's not made a big deal um, at all. So, that you know, that in and of itself is pretty progressive for the time. Yep. Um, I remember the original series from uh, VHS tapes of a marathon that had aired on Fox when, <laughs> when nice. we were kids. And my dad was a big fan of the original series, so we'd recorded all of this marathon of Star Trek. Nice. And we'd pop in those VHS, and it had been recorded on like the the version of it that allows you to get six hours instead of two hours. So it was the super grainy, staticky yeah. versions of it. And it has it. like the first three seconds of commercial breaks. <laughs> oh, no, it has all the commercial breaks. Oh, we we, commercial weren't, we were not pausing the commercial breaks. We fast forward when we rewatched like, those. What happened to Jello Pudding Pops? <laughs> Uh, but, but uh, you know, periodically in the summer, I know my sister would just pop in one of those, and I'd find myself sitting down and watching a bunch of Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> um, and so that was kind of my my first exposure to it. And a couple times I've gone and rewatched the entire – I think I've seen the entire reg- uh, original series uh, yeah. two, two or three times. Oh, nice. Um, and I watched uh, – I know I've seen all of The Next Generation once at least and then scattered episodes multiple times yeah. of that. Uh, read a bunch of the books when I was a geeky teenager. Good thing that phase passed, right? Yeah. Can, good now. <laughs> Don't look on the shelf to your to your I to your left there, Kevin. I know for a fact that you're watching sports scores on your phone. <laughs> I I do. I, so, I am. Uh, I so am I get more geek something. cred due to things I'm not into. <laughs> that's that's good fandom right there. Um, but I, I haven't been as invested in keeping up with the current series, particularly because they're behind a paywall on CBS All Access right now. Uh, I, I, I'm intrigued by them, and I hope to see them someday. But I, I'm not to the level of a, a, a trucker or a Trekkie fan that I, I'm going to rush out and drop whatever money CBS is asking me right. uh, to see the new no, stuff. I, so I tried to outsmart them because I did the the one-week free trial thing. We waited for the whole first season to end. We got our week free trial, and then we just blitzed the whole thing. I actually, the Star Trek Club was presenting at, um, I can't remember the name of the convention, a convention up in Pleasant Grove, and then another one in Salt Lake City. And they're like, Kevin, we want you to come talk about Discovery. It's like, okay, I should probably watch it then. <laughs> and, so, um, and so I watched the whole thing, but then CBS did win in the end, because I could not figure out how to unsubscribe. <laughs> so, so so they are getting your money yeah well i i eventually got back of them but they they got plenty of money out of me before i figured it out i think that's one thing a lot of these uh services that are like oh free free monthly they're they're just waiting for you to not unsubscribe in time yeah. before you get your first yeah, charge shields up, up. <laughs> yellow alert that was a star trek reference joe Thank you. I, I, I did follow. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about two episodes from Star Trek, the original series. We'll be looking at Balance of Terror, the 14th episode of season one, which was written by Paul Schneider and directed by Vincent McKevity, um, I believe is how it's pronounced, but I'm not 100% sure on that director's name. It originally aired on December 15th, 1966, and it tells the story of the USS Enterprise engaged in a game of cat and mouse with a cloaked Romulan warbird. We're also discussing Obsession, which is the 13th episode of the second season 
This was uh, written by Art Wallace and directed by Ralph Sineski. It tells the story of Captain Kirk's obsessive need to destroy a deadly entity that he encountered in his youth. We're focusing on Captain Kirk, who was played by William Shatner, but we should also note that Spock was played by Leonard Nimoy and Dr. McCoy was played by DeForest Kelly. They're kind of the key trio of the original series. A little bit of trivia about Star Trek, which I will just say, there's too much trivia about Star Trek, so I'm really just hitting a few high notes. We're not <laughs> digging in deep. This would be a multi-episode podcast just talking about what trivia lists you can find online and running through every bullet point on those, because there's just so much. Full books have been written about Star Trek behind-the-scenes <laughs> stories and everything. Yeah. Uh, Star Trek was created by Gene Roddenberry and originally aired from 1966 to 69 and produced 79 episodes, and then it was canceled. And generally, with uh, TV that's it <laughs> you get canceled after three seasons you're not a franchise this was not to be the case for star trek star trek has had 13 feature films and six additional tv series have been produced at this point hundreds and hundreds of episodes uh and there were another uh, another four series or miniseries have been announced for that cbs all access um and even today just today i saw a a new animated series was announced for nickelodeon uh i'm feeling out of the loop so that we've got next generation DS9, there was the animated TOS. There was the original animated TOS back Voyager, in the 70s, mis- I think. Oh, and Discovery, of course. Discovery. You're counting the Orville. Good man. I am not counting the Orville. <laughs> I'm counting the uh, announced Jean-Luc Picard miniseries is in there. Oh, we're counting we're counting announced Yeah, ones. some of the announced ones. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. And then there's rumors of a Captain Pike spinoff from Discovery miniseries. Wasn't there Star Trek Enterprise? Enterprise. Enterprise! With, oh! Uh, with uh, Baba... Uh, Scott Bakula. I am so sorry for what I've done to the comments on this episode. (laughs) I'm sure it's already coming. Okay. (laughs) I was not planning to listen because there's so many, but I think we've we've hit uh, most of them. I forgot Enterprise. Uh... And um, so besides those TV series and, again, the all the feature films that have been done with the Kelvin timeline and everything, mm-hmm. uh, Star Trek as a pop culture franchise, it has had books, video games, board games, comic books, breakfast cereals, clothing, jewelry, and anything else you can imagine being licensed. Um, pretty much there's a Star Trek version of it. Um, it is one of the large pop culture franchises that exist out there, particularly in the world of licensing. Uh, with the episodes that we're talking about today, Balance of Terror was very much inspired by the World War II submarine film The Enemy Below. Some might even say ripped off the World War II submarine even, film. I don't even know. The Enemy, oh, wait. Uh, someone Enemy in the Below. club mentioned that. Yeah. Oh, someone in the club mentioned that. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot sorry, of parallels Sorry, Star there. Trek Club. I tried to remember the stuff you said. And the episode Obsession was inspired by any guesses, Kevin? Uh, I'm going to go off looking at my notes. Moby Dick. Yes, yes, Moby Dick. As soon as we do a little bit of the plot summary, every listener will be saying, oh, this is a Moby Dick story. <laughs> yep. With, with a couple twists, such as... Ahab's obsession isn't really punished in Obsession. <laughs> yeah, it's he was absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah, a little, little twist from the novel there. Little, oh man, oh man, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. Yeah, say, say jump off the line here. After, but after I got, I got things to say about Obsession. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we move on to those plot summaries, listeners, we want to thank you for downloading this episode and listening, and we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to Patreon.com/slash/protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All support us on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about new, newly released films, trailers, or new TV shows that we're watching or books that we're reading. And we also give monthly updates on our fantasy box office there. All patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Now for the full summaries of Balance of Terror and Obsession, and both of these are available streaming on Netflix and I am sure in many people you know's DVD collections. <laughs> you can <could> find <laughs> these. 
All right, in Balance of Terror, Captain Kirk is officiating a wedding when a red alert blares through the Enterprise, Earth, po- Earth Outpost 4, along the neutral zone with the Romulan Empire is under attack. The wedding is postponed while everyone runs to battle stations. We get a major exposition dump from Spock. <laughs> Earth <laughs> and the Romulan Empire, because this is the first appearance of the Romulans yep. in all of Star yeah. Trek. So uh, Almost it, everything we know about the Romulans after 50 years of Trek is still in this monologue. <laughs> in this monologue. Uh, Earth and the Romulan uh, Empire had a war uh, in their early days of uh, earlier days of space exploration and involved using nuclear weapons because it was so primitive they were still using nuclear weapons mm-hmm. uh, and that war ended a, a century ago with the creation of the neutral zone the treaty was signed remotely and nobody has ever seen a Romulan they never met face to face they just bombed each other with nukes uh, there's been no contact with the Romulan Empire for over a century. Earth has several outposts on their side of the neutral zone, but no Starfleet ship is allowed to enter the actual neutral zone. There is a Lieutenant Stiles sitting at navigation who says he had several ancestors who died in that last war with the Romulans, and he is not a fan of the Romulan <laughs> Empire, and he is immediately gung-ho about attacking whatever has crossed. He's sure something from the Romulan Empire crossed the neutral zone and attacked the Earth outpost. He's right, but uh, he's definitely driven by prejudice. Uh, the Enterprise confirms that outpost 2 and three are destroyed, and four has been attacked. They get a visual communication with Commander Hansen from Outpost 4, who says there was a powerful energy weapon fired from a ship they could not detect. He says the sensors... Uh, and now he says, well, my sensors just registered a ship for a second. Uh, but now they see uh, he sees another we- the weapon has fired again, and Outpost 4 is destroyed. Spock can get- detect a moving object, but they can't fully lock in on it. He surmises the Romulans may have a cloaking device to prevent their shipment from being seen. Assuming that such a device would draw so much power that it may prevent other systems from working at maximum capacity, Kirk orders the Enterprise to shadow the movements of the object. Not to intercept, just follow it ex- as though it was an echo that uh, they, they, they'll they just think their, their sensors are maybe picking up an echo of their own path. Uh, that moving object is heading towards the neutral zone. Uhura is able to pick up a communication signal being sent from the Romulan ship, which Spock is able to then piggyback onto and get access to a camera from inside the Romulan ship. It's a great reveal, but they, the reasoning here is a little loosey-goosey. Uh, but we're able to get our first uh, visual contact with the Romulans. One of them turns towards the camera, and we see they look just like Vulcans. Oh my gosh. Styles starts tossing sarcastic barbs at Spock, and really everyone on the bridge kind of gives Spock some side-eye at this moment. And Kirk shuts Styles down, saying, leave any bigotry in your quarters. There's no room for it on the bridge. On the Romulan ship, the commander believes the echo their sensors are seeing is really a Federation ship. He demotes an officer who ignored an order to send a signal to the Romulan homeworld, alerting them of their victory against the outpost. That's the signal that Spock was able to piggyback onto to get that first visual. Uh, Spock suggests that if the Romulans are descendants from Vulcans who had a very warlike, warlike past, it would be very bad to show weakness. Uh, Styles and Spock both recommend attacking the ship, but uh, McCoy urges caution, uh, and Kirk though, decides he is going to attack. Now, the Romulans and the Enterprise have several back and forth. I'm not going to describe them all. It's just, imagine a submarine warfare. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of depth charge is being dropped. They're not sure where each other are, but they're both making their best uh, guesses, and they each land some blows against each other, uh, but nobody gets uh, the kill blow. It's as though Kirk and the Romulan commander can anticipate each other's moves. Eventually, both ships are damaged and silently awaiting movement from the other. In the end, Styles and another officer are in a room Waiting orders to fire phasers when damage causes a coolant link inside that room. Kirk orders phasers to fire. 
And when nothing happens, Spock runs in. He fires the phasers and pulls the officers out of the room. The Romulan ship is damaged, and its commander sets off the self-destruct uh, so that the uh, Federation can't have any chance to get the, the cloaking device. Styles can't believe Spock saved his life after all the anger that he had directed at him. Uh, the other officer who was in the phaser control room doesn't make it. He was the groom who was supposed <laughs> to be married at the top of the episode. Kirk consoles uh, the fiancé, and then he prepares for another day in command on the Enterprise. That groom might as well have been wearing a red shirt tuxedo from the opening scene the opening scene it's like pretty ham-headed this guy's gonna die (laughs) well and like when i was thinking about this episode and we were choosing episodes for for this episode um but uh i'd forgotten all about the wedding scene like i'd forgotten (laughs) about that character because he's not that yeah 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 yeah. although um i do like when the woman listen buddy i'm gonna marry you (laughs) and it's and it's her superior officer and you're like how did that courtship go this is weird um but that's that's neither here nor there uh but yeah, when you see the guy getting married, you're like, ah, oh, he's dead. Yes. Uh, he or her. One, one of these two was not making it to the end of this episode. That's true. That's true. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, she could have died in his arms and he would look up from the camera and go, no! Yeah. Um, that would have been permitted. And then we could have had a long-running subplot of his anger at Captain Kirk. No, wait, there are no long-running subplots in Star Trek the original <laughs> series. It's completely episodic. No one remembers what happened last week. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Now, that was the style of television at the time, because yeah. c- there was no assumption that anyone would ever be able to re- rewatch these things. It was, you watch it when it's on, and that's it. There's no VCR, there's no recording devices at all. Which, it, there, there's a, I don't remember who now, but made a really interesting argument that the episodic nat- nature of the original series helped give birth to Star Trek, because they're allowed to do unspeakable emotional damage to Kirk, and, and, and the main cast, but primarily Kirk, and then just... Next just move on and it's fine yeah Yeah. (laughs) there's there's no sign that anything's happened um yeah so um a couple things that oh oh oh, oh, sorry oh sorry i gotta summarize obsession first (laughs) oh oh oh, i'm sorry we're doing both at once that's a good plan all right so in the episode obsession while searching for a particular mineral on a planet captain kirk notices a sweet familiar smell he orders the crew to do a sweep of the area and fire at any gaseous clouds they encounter (laughs) this episode is kirk versus a cloud Kirk's big obsession is a cloud. Uh, when you texted me earlier and said you were describing a battle between clouds, I thought you were like telling a nighttime tale to one of your kids. I now understand you were describing this episode. No, I was summarizing Star Trek. Uh, the Kirk crew, the, cloud. the clue, uh, the clue, the crew remind Kirk that they need to rendezvous with the USS Yorktown to transfer vital medicine, perishable medicine. This is important medicine, and there's a lifespan on it. Just in case you're wondering, this is going to come up several more times. But Kirk wants to <laughs> stick around the planet. Uh, the red shirts encounter an odd cloud and shoot it with their face. Uh, but when Kirk and, uh, and Spock find uh, those red shirts, two are dead and one is ailing. Kirk predicts that every red blood cell will be missing from their bodies, and he's right. McCoy performs blood transfusions to try and keep the wounded Ensign Rizzo alive. McCoy says this is weird, and Kirk ominously tells him, go look up the USS Farragut. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. The crew and Starfleet keep reminding Kirk about the USS Yorktown and the medicine, and Kirk just ignores them <laughs> to continue looking into the deaths, uh, deaths of his crewmen, which, on the one hand, okay, he's a captain, so guys died in mysterious circumstance. I understand that, but he's getting like direct orders from Starfleet and just straight out ignoring <laughs> them. Uh, you might say he's obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> Ensign Rizzo dies and another Ensign named Gar- Garavik is all in on finding whatever it is that killed Rizzo because they were best buds. Kirk, Garavik, and some more red shirts beam down to the planet to poke around. They're just going to go look for this cloud that's quite deadly. Uh, then they split up. Always a good move. Garavik's group uh, finds the cloud and Garavik 
hesitates before shooting it. It attacks the other two members of his group and then disappears. One dies, the other is in critical condition. Kirk is now convinced that this is the creature that he encountered in his youth, or in his younger days, I guess, while he was on the crew of the USS Farragut, a creature that killed half that crew, including its captain. Kirk removes Garavik from duty because he hesitated before firing on the cloud. Scotty reminds Kirk they need to go leave and get to that medicine, and Kirk refuses, and he actually says uh, he's tired of Scotty and the other crew conspiring against conspiring him. Conspiring against him. And then he apologizes only for his choice of words. <laughs> Not for the sentiment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Spock and McCoy have a private chat about Kirk's obsession. Uh, Spock tells McCoy that on the Farragut... You sound like you're advertising a fragrance. In the <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> on the Farragut, Lieutenant Kirk... So this is back when Kirk was a lieutenant. His captain was named Garavik. It was Ensign Garavik's father. <gasps> McCoy tells Kirk... Um, or talks to, uh, McCoy goes and talks to Kirk about... Another detail in things. here that I think is interesting is that um, Spock's talking to McCoy about also that Kirk was on board that ship. And like it's a revelation. Yeah. Even though it was Kirk who... Told McCoy. Said, hey, go, go, go check this out. <laughs> Admittedly, Kirk could have mentioned it, but apparently it was pretty sensational that he didn't. Yes. <laughs> uh, McCoy goes to talk to Kirk about all these things. It turns out that on the Farragut, Kirk hesitated firing phasers when they encountered, encountered the cloud. And he has always blamed himself for the deaths that followed. McCoy and Spock are prepared to re- report Kirk's unbalanced emotional state. But then Kirk says... He senses the creature is intelligent, dangerous, and capable of space travel, and he's going to pursue it. And that seems to appease Spock and McCoy. They're like, oh, okay, you're not obsessed. This is perfectly logical now. (laughs) So I'm not going to file that report just yet. (laughs) Uh, The cloud is, in fact, heading through space now, and the Enterprise follows it, not towards the USS Yorktown. They're following the cloud. Uh, eventually the cloud stops and it turns and heads towards the Enterprise and Kirk calls for red alert. Ensign Garavik leaves his quarters and rushes to ask to be reinstated for duty while he's on the bridge making this request. He sees the Enterprise fire phasers at the cloud, but to no effect. It would not have mattered if he had fired, or in fact if Kirk had fired back in the day on the Farragut. Uh, their crewmates would still be dead. The cloud is able to enter the ship and it is in the ventilation shafts. McCoy feels that this is all a result of Kirk's obsession. He's not wrong. <laughs> but Spock <Yeah. laughs> But Spock points out it doesn't matter how they got into this situation. Here they are. Now, I think it does matter how they got into this situation. <laughs> Maybe not in this moment, but they should circle back afterward and talk about like, how we got here. <laughs> All right, in the next episode, said Kirk, and then everyone forgot it happened. Yes. Uh, Spock accepts that the cloud is a creature with intelligence since it turned and attacked the Enterprise. They decide to flush the ventilation shafts with radiation. That seems dangerous, but yeah, okay. Yeah, they put the radioactive waste in the, in the vents. <laughs> I, I think they call it the waste. Yes, they do. Yeah. And it's like, these are the ventilation shafts. Isn't this where everyone's getting their air? But... They're, they're Truly, really, the future is wonderful. <laughs> they're really interested in getting this creature. Um, while they're implementing this plan, Spock goes to visit Garavik in his quarters to tell him that his reaction was natural and it actually did no harm to his crewmates. Uh, the cloud begins to come out of a vent in Garavik's room, and Spock orders Garavik out while he covers the vent with his hands. This is a shot that I remember from my childhood, where Spock is trying to hold the cloud inside the vent with his hands. Yeah. And even as a child, I was like, Turn, use your back. Something with more mass than your hands oh, with a bigger so you spread. You thought it through more than I did because I was watching it even earlier today. I was like, well, that's not going to work. And I'm move on with life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just do something besides your open palmed hands. Although we have to remember that Spock periodically just pulls powers out of his. <laughs> he's, maybe he's got a mind so like, As cloud. you know, Vulcans can stop air. Well, well wait for it. <laughs> oh, because there is going to be a special Vulcan power. All right. Well, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Factor coming up. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, we cut away, assuming Spock is 
is going to die. But then we come back from commercial break and Spock is fine because his copper-based blood tastes bad to the aliens, <laughs> uh, to, the, to the alien cloud. Uh, despite more reminders coming about the medicine, Kirk insists that they need to go to the planet where the crew of the Farragut first encountered this cloud creature because it must be the creature's home planet. No real explanation is given on this. It's just his theory. He smelled it. <laughs> and, and Spock thinks... Speaking of things that are not explained, the creature must be going home to reproduce. He says there's evidence of this. He never says what that evidence is. He just says the creature's going to go home to reproduce. And Kirk's like, well, we have to stop it. It'll be thousands of those clouds. I mean, you only know of one. Remind me to come back to his evidence. Because I got something for you. (laughs) Okay. Um... So they go back to that planet. Kirk and Garavik beam down with blood for bait and some antimatter as a trap. <clears throat> there are a few hiccups, but Kirk and Garavik beam out in the nick of time and with some fancy transporting work by Spock, they get off the planet just as the antimatter explodes. End of the creature. End of the episode. Cool. I'm so proud of you right now. That was such a good summary. Um, okay. So. All right. Well, I, I guess yeah. at the top I want to ask, is there one of these episodes you like more? I okay. It just in terms of enjoyability of watching the episode, balance of terror. Okay, um, it's it's a fun little cat and mouse is a good description of. It. I hadn't thought of that term, but that's a, an excellent description of it. Um, and in terms of showing Kirk's character, I think as as all discussions of Captain Kirk should start, I have to start uh, with uh, what I call the Doctor Who principle. Um, naturally, he's a Time Lord, <laughs> but. Uh, Anything Kirk says is true by definition. This is a this is an integral part of his character and who he is as a man. Um, because the I, I, I'm going to come to his defense a little bit in the obsession episode. I don't know if there's like a format you wanted to. to oh no! Wait, okay. wait, at this point, it's a free for all. Okay, good, 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 good. Um, because the way I remembered these episodes when I chose them is the defining trait of Kirk for me is that he's always right. It's um, it's stupid. <laughs> um, but in it's another way in which um, Star Trek, oh boy, I'm going to make another stretch here, is actually the opposite of Star Wars. Okay. Star Trek tells, and I'm talking about the original series, um, leave the other Star Treks off the table. And what about Star Wars? Which one are you talking about? Because um, <laughs> there's a lot of Star Wars. Speaking of the franchises. The original trilogy and the prequels, I can't deal with the Disney sequels. <laughs> In this particular algorithm. (laughs) So, equation. Um, So, Star Trek tells really stupid meta stories with surprisingly good dialogue in the moment. Surprisingly good. Not always good. uh, And then Star Wars, I feel like, does the opposite. Tells a really interesting meta story with just terrible dialogue. You're like, (laughs) none of this is justified by your characters, but cool, that's fine. Um, And so in that way, they've set up their rivalry with each other. It's like, well, do you want to walk away from the episode and go, that was kind of dumb, but the way they got there seemed to make sense at the time. (laughs) Then Star Trek's your show. Um, And with... With Kirk. Um, the the thing I remembered about Balance of Terror was Kirk makes all these absurd predictions about, oh, we're going to use this tactic and do this thing. And they they don't actually all work, but most they, of them. They work, work to a point, And if it was yeah. against a different foe, they would absolutely have worked. He's just yeah. has a foe who's as right as he is. Yeah. And that's what I love. Oh, my goodness. I'm spacing the name of the Romulan captain. It's uh, in here. Is it Marcus something? That's a, it's a definitely a it's Roman a Roman name. name. Yeah, it's, uh, speaking so, of things that don't make sense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, uh, and but then yeah, he has a worthy foe because mm-hmm. it's uh, 
It's like reading Dark Force Rising by Timothy Zahn, where he makes Thrawn seem so smart. I keep referencing other properties. Is this within the rules? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, where he keep, he makes Thrawn sound so smart, because Thrawn's like, okay, next the Rebels are going to do this. And then he shows a scene of the Rebels doing that. And that's exactly what the Romulan captain does. And it makes the captain look so savvy. Um, and, like, it's it's an enjoyable watch. It's a good show. Um He's uh, only listed as Romulan commander, actually, on uh, the the cast list for that episode. Oh, dang it! Uh, his his uh, his confidant is named Decius. Decius. Uh, so he may not Surely have a name. He probably has been given a name, I would guess, in secondary materials. Uh, yeah, you know, secondary Star Trek materials. Um, but yeah, the wrong, they're they're evenly matched, and so th- right. that's why Kirk isn't always right in this instance. So. Okay. Now going to obsession and everything Kirk says being true by definition mm-hmm. um, is, as you say, it's Moby Dick. I actually hadn't made that connection, but the the sentiment is pretty clearly there. <laughs> yeah. um, but with the opposite moral. Yes. <laughs> Where the, the obsession is great. Yeah. <laughs> this one, it saves and the day. What frustrated me so much about that, both times I watched it, uh, like the, the meta story, the dumb meta story you walk away with is uh, Kirk has this far-fetched theory which is perfectly correct. And it's correct because he had a trauma in his past, which, as you know, makes people think more clearly about situations. Uh, it's been well documented. <laughs> um, and admittedly, on this watch through the relationship between him and uh, I don't remember his rank, Ensign Garavik, possibly mm-hmm. Lieutenant Garavik. I think it's Ensign. Ensign uh, Garavik. That's actually, it's a well-told story. Yes, um, uh, but there's the, the the thing again, because Star Trek is so episodic, you never see Garavik again. That is his only appearance yeah. in the original series. And I wish... Like some of those, uh, we could have had a few subplots or uh, yes. some yeah. more developed relationships besides Kirk McCoy and Spock. And I love the Kirk McCoy Spock dynamic. Well, yeah. I will dig more into that. Uh, oh yeah, no, I'm up. excited to get there yeah. too. Um, but that's like it's it's pretty neat. But the problem is, I think they had the opportunity to tell a really beautiful story where. Uh, not only did Kirk learn to forgive himself and Garavik learned to forgive himself, but also Kirk was wrong. He learned, wait, yes. my obsession is making me take wrong actions and I'm leading to a medical disaster. Uh-huh. Um, or I, I think another interesting version of the story, and I don't want to play the game of like, oh, if only, but but yeah. I, for me, obsession is the lesser of these two episodes. I don't think yeah. it's, it, I mean, there are some bad episodes of the original series. <laughs> they, they were pumping <laughs> these out really fast. Yeah. Uh, there were some production changes behind the scenes that led to some scripts just getting rushed through. There's a few bad episodes. I don't think this is a bad episode. It's just kind of an episode that's there uh, mm-hmm. for me in Star Trek the original series, which is Balance of Terror is one of my favorite episodes. Like when you said yeah. Balance of Terror, I knew exactly which one you were talking about. When you said obsession, you want to talk about obsession. I'm like, which one is that? And I Googled it. I'm like, oh, the cloud. I'm like, is that Day of the Dove? Because that's a different cloud. <laughs> that's a different cloud one that I really like. Yeah. Uh, you know, that I think is, is, is maybe a stronger episode overall for Obsession. Lots but, of evil but, clouds. But, but for Kirk, it is an interesting episode to look at. But I kind of wish, instead of uh, both him and Garvik being, uh, you know, allowed off the hook because, oh, there's nothing we could have done. If they, if those have been, I made a mistake and I've got to learn from it and carry on. Yes. That would be interesting. Yes. Uh, <laughs> or, or if I wasn't guilty, but my guilt has turned me into something I shouldn't be right now. I'm an obsessed monster myself. You know, like I've become mm-hmm. something else because of my obsession with this cloud. That would have been interesting, but we kind of get a little hints at each, but neither actually happens. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the thing that I find 
troublesome about Kurt, because I, I, of course I'm joking when I say when he says something is true by definition, but the show really does kind of go that route. Because you have Kurt um, put on tribunal in a different episode where Spock says it's more likely, uh, first Spock says there's no chance that the computer recorded these events incorrectly. It's more likely that the computer recorded these events incorrectly than Kirk made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I mean, I get that they probably could have gotten away with that because they, <laughs> nobody has any memory of the past. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, like they really went, they really leaned into this. No, Kirk is right all the time. And I think it actually weakens him as a character. Yeah. And, um, I, I think it would have added depth depth to his character if Obsession had been one of those times where he was so, drawn. Yeah, it would have yeah. been so good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think as viewers, we see his Obsession as a flaw. Yeah. Uh, but the show isn't saying it's a flaw. <laughs> right, <laughs> in, right. In the end. Uh, and, I, and I don't know if that's because we come in with all our Captain Ahab metaphors and Great White Whales and all these things at the ready when we start to see where this episode is going. Right. Particularly with all the reminders about the other duties that he is neglecting. Uh, but, yeah. But at the end, it just kind of says... No, oh, he's right. He's right. But then there's other things that kind of bug me about it as an episode of Star Trek, because so often Star Trek with uh, will say like, oh, no, this thing you hated and feared and didn't understand you. It's because you didn't understand it. And if you came to understand it, you wouldn't hate and fear it. Yeah. And this one says, oh, hate and fear. <laughs> yeah, kill that thing. <laughs> and even spot like, like trying to reproduce. Kill it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure a little while ago we had the episode with the Horda, the, the you know carpet creature that's crawling around that was trying to reproduce. And the miners didn't understand it. And they tried to hunt and kill it. And yeah. then Spock came along and mind melded with it and said, oh, no, this is. I think that's this his is first a, mind meld. That's th- when he learned. Th- this is a mother that's trying to protect its young. And we need to understand it. And then like Horda actually like, keep popping up through Star Trek because they introduced it as this feared yeah. creature uh that uh is a different life form it's silicon based instead of carbon based and there's all these kind of interesting science things about that right. uh that they do and that's a great star trek to me that feels like the star trek message and then obsession kind of does the opposite <laughs> and even spock himself well, who just did that with the horda sees this brand new life force that's <laughs> never been encountered yeah and says oh destroy destroy yeah, kill that thing <laughs> the the other thing i find interesting about it is the writers of the show named it Obsession. Like, we didn't name it Obsession. <laughs> and so, like, I like to think that that was a small act of rebellion hmm. at some level of the Star Trek writing process. Where it's like, this episode's dumb. Instead of calling it Redemption or Forgiveness, I'm going to go with Obsession because that's what this episode <laughs> yeah. should have been about. And, like, in, in comparing these two episodes, both have things that make no sense that you just kind of kind of roll with because it's 1960 science fiction television. Right. And there's the parameters that you were working with and then constrained the kind of story that was going to be told right. and also dictated the kind of story that was going to be told. Um, and I find with Balance of Terror, I forgive all those things. Like the fact yeah. that the Romulans are super Roman for no reason. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> like they, they've never met earth oh why <laughs> like why is their culture entirely built around uh roman culture or and uh things like um when okay this is based on a submarine movie and it, it turns out in submarines with sonars you really do have to like physically be quiet and they have everyone be like whispering on the enterprise and whispering on the romulan when they're in outer space sound is not going to travel through yeah. outer space but for some reason that's the key thing and this is Sp- spock bumps a button that sends a beeping sound and that's like oh the moment of terror it's gone wrong that works in submarines it doesn't really work in outer space but i don't care because i like the episode balance of terror so much and i like the feel that it gives it's very um evocative of the tension right. uh and very successfully so so i forget give all those things whereas with obsession i find myself saying 
Spock, cover the vent <laughs> with something more than your hands because all the smoke's just going to come out. And, right. You know, like I find myself leaning into those nitpicks a little bit more. Um, and again, I don't think this is like an awful episode of Star Trek. It's just kind of like, eh. And the themes don't really, for me, sing uh, the true Star Trek message right. uh, that Roddenberry, particularly in the 60s, was really hitting. And I know now there's so much Star Trek. You can find lots of other themes. Deep Space Nine is definitely going in a different thematic direction than the optimism of the 1960s original series. But we're still... Discovery, it, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, well, Deep Space Nine, and I, I haven't watched Discovery, but oh, I DS9 it. as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I uh, guess it is more political. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, and more, we're never getting better. <laughs> and there's conspiracies on all okay, sides. Okay, fair enough. Uh, uh, but, but, argument accepted. But with the original series, a lot of it is a really optimistic view of the future. And this doesn't... Uh, obsession uh, doesn't right. really fit that. And, and like, I don't mind... The war part of uh, uh, of uh, Balance of Terror, it feels very much a piece of, uh, you know, 20 years after, uh, both 20 years after World War II, when you would have had that kind of submarine warfare going on, and also a piece of the Cold War when you had kind of neutral zones dividing up the, the world yeah. and lines being drawn. Like, I see both of those parallels happening in that story, and it's making some really um, interesting commentaries about those, and I think it's, it's pretty successful in what it's trying to do in those, and still being a very entertaining hour of television. Um, so, so that's the one that, that, uh, resonates a bit more for me of these two. Right. The, um, the thing where I think obsession deserves its place, not necessarily in the pantheon of Star Trek, but more in the pantheon of Captain Kirk, Mm -hmm. because the, um, a, a theme that runs through Star Trek is all the, all the ships that we're looking at are the, the elite teams. And so the captains, whenever they reference each other, they sort of do so with awe. But even throughout the series, except Discovery, which is a prequel, as far as I know, I haven't seen season two yet. <laughs> um, but uh, like they always speak of Kirk with reverence, right? And I think it's because they sort of bought into this absurd idea that Kirk was always right, even when he was clearly <laughs> wrong. Um, yeah. So it's it's not. I agree with you that it's not an optimistic view of the future. Although to be fair. I don't know that original series encapsulated that quite as well as the other shows. Because the original series, um, the, this is hearsay. I heard this from a friend. The the, the same person who introduced me to uh, Star Trek in the first place. That it was pitched to the networks as the Oregon Trail to the Stars. Yeah, uh, Wagon yeah. Train to the Stars. Wagon uh, Train to the Stars. Yeah, Wagon Train was a, a TV series at the time. I think. Oh, see, I didn't yeah. even know that. So yeah. you knew more about this than mm-hmm. I did. But mm-hmm. let me catch up with you. <laughs> so it's it's more of about the the adventures and imposing American ideals on foreign cultures. And Kirk does do that sometimes. Oh, yeah. so when he when he lands on a planet, he doesn't like what's going on. They don't have a choice. They will accept what and his view is of right and the, the the proper way to live. The Yangs and the Cons. Wait, Kirk does make a mistake in the in the episode where. Um, they compare it to Adam and Eve, and they're talking about serpents, and he decides to arm one side of conflict for some insane reason I don't remember. And then they use it, and the planet is plunged into terror and chaos. And then Kirk's like, well, I'm done. Let's go. <laughs> so, ha-ha! I found the chink in your armor, buddy! Um, I got very distracted. Oh, yeah, with the Yangs and the Cons, the episode where he meets Yankees oh, and Communists. Oh, and uh, is, that, is that the one with the American flag up being brought out at the end of the, yeah, the reading of the preamble or of yeah. the Constitution? Yeah. Which makes, uh, speaking of things that make no sense, <laughs> that's way worse than the Romulans being Roman. There's, okay, I feel like there's this buried narrative in Star Trek. You're, um, Wesley meets them, the, the founders, the instigators, the creators, whatever. The, the reason that the... Uh, so many are humanoids, right? Yeah, Bipedal. yeah. The, the reason that all the species are not only humanoid, but um, 
compatible to mm-hmm. making children. And um, it, because they all have a common ancestor. And I feel like buried in that is the implication that you find throughout the show is that every planet kind of goes through the same historical process. Mm-hmm. Right down to you've got planets that had Yankees and communists. Yeah. So to the letter, really. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that <laughs> um with balance of terror one of my favorite moments uh, and looking at kirk as a character yeah. is when he calls out styles after styles has been uh oh yeah you know uh saying whatever it was he was saying to spock and kirk leans into styles and he says loud enough for everyone to hear leave your bigotry in your in your cabinet has no place on the bridge and i love thinking about like as a leader he's Right, he's really presenting to four audiences, right? He's saying yeah. that to Styles to say, "Shut up, Styles! I'm tired of <laughs> uh, tired of the way you're talking." He's saying that to Spock to say, "I have your back." He's mm-hmm. saying it to the rest of the crew to say, "Stop giving side glances at Spock and leave him alone." And yeah. he's also saying it to the audience, right? Yeah. So those are four audiences that are being presented right there. Three for Kirk as a captain, uh, but for the writing of the scene, we've got those four audiences. And for me, that's one of the the my favorite moments of him as a leader, uh, yeah. you know, and. um not just doing the kind of, you know, the wagon train of the star cowboy swagger thing, but like, like he's addressing an issue within his crew in a way that's operating on multiple levels for multiple audiences. And I think that's, that's one of the better moments of leadership in these, in these two episodes that we have. Oh, I totally agree. Um, the, I think you can definitely define Kirk as most characters by his relationships. Mm-hmm. And, um, I really, an, an interesting contradiction in him that I, that I actually like, I think it makes him really compelling is, uh, he expects absolute obedience from his inferiors, even when they don't understand the reason. And for TV drama reasons, he doesn't usually tell them why. <laughs> yeah, he gives an order and everyone gets to look confused for a little bit sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh-huh, I'm so smart. But then he also consistently disobeys orders from his superiors. Yes. <laughs> um, and it set up this wonderful thing in Star Trek where uh, the, the thesis of Star Trek is a good leader is someone who gives the right orders, Galder, and even in the face of ignorance um, or unexplainable obsession. Mm-hmm. It's not unexplainable, I guess. That was unfair. That was unfair. Of me. <laughs> Unhealthy obsession. <laughs> Unhealthy obsession. <laughs> um, but then also knows when to tell her commander to, screw you, buddy, I'm going to do my own thing. Which crew members start doing a lot more in later on series. Mm-hmm. Not so much in the original. Well, we start to see more developed, like a, a broader uh, cast of crew, right? In the yeah. original series, it really is these three. Really? <laughs> right? And... That's uh, true. McCoy and Spock disobey orders all the time. Yes. So. Uh, but, you know, in Next Generation, it's suddenly, you're going to have a, a core cast of is it six, kind of, that you, that you get with the... Oh, we don't need to play this game again. <laughs> Deep Space Nine, I think it's even more. You know, yeah. they, they, there's just like more and more core casts and when they all need story arcs, some of those story arcs are going to be going rogue, doing things on their yeah. own um you know uh developing their own sense of morality and ethics and what you know what's called for in those situations right um i do want to make sure we touch a little bit on uh the the kirk spock mccoy dynamic and that's something yeah. i think obsession does really well actually yes. is yeah. is playing with that dynamic um Occasionally, I uh, when when I'm I, I'm teaching a class and I need to touch on explaining classic Greek forms of rhetoric, and we got to talk about ethos, logos, and pathos. I, oh, okay. I often jump to the Kirk's uh, the Kirk Spock McCoy or the Harry Ron Hermione uh, triumvirate to to explain these because I, I mean Spock works really well for logos because everyone knows Spock is logic. Like even mm-hmm. if you don't know a whole lot about Star Trek, I think you've probably just through cultural osmosis have learned Vulcans are logical; they're driven yeah. by logic. Right. And so that's uh, appeals to logic are logos. That's when you're like laying out the reasons uh, and, and you're you're debating the the consequences of actions. Whereas um, 
pathos or pathos. I have heard both my entire life in academia, and I don't know which is right. Uh, but they I wouldn't uh, <laughs> dare venture a guess. I say pathos, but now I'm nervous about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, they I, I in the same conference, like in uh, one one academic conference, I heard two different presenters like pronouncing it very distinctly the opposite ways, and they both clearly felt their way was the right way, and the other person was wrong. This is the talk about. it's pathos barbara (laughs) um uh, and that's mccoy like mccoy even though he's a medical doctor he is all emotion in his appeals to kirk in both bounds of terror and obsession they are emotional appeals yes uh you know about um what he's feeling what you know what are the like the emotional ramifications not the logical ramifications of, of these uh of his actions and then uh ethos is authority which is kirk um and and part of this is is what that gets established in star trek is he like he he establishes his ethos because he's right because he's kirk as you said like like you have to accept that there's also the rank um aspect of it uh and it does also get tied into making the moral and ethical uh decisions which lends people you know to give you that authority uh or makes people uh, give you that authority so so kirk is kind of the center of those those other two poles uh in terms of that classic greek rhetorical tradition and i i think uh um, Spock in both of these is also like he is operating from logic in what he describes. Right. Um, even in Obsession, when we're like we're kind of like, oh, like I don't agree with all the logic that you're presenting, but he he does it from that point of view, saying, well, uh, there's evidence this creature is going to spawn and it will become a threat to the entire galaxy. Which mm-hmm. again, how old is this creature? Has it never spawned before? <laughs> you, you know, has it never because it because it seems like if they kill this one, they've they've nipped this issue in the bud. Uh, got it. Uh, and so like it doesn't take that next step of logic, but when he sides with Captain Kirk, that is how it gets presented. Right. Um, and and I love seeing that interplay. Um, and and. Uh, the consistency with which those characters um, do play. Now, there are obviously going to be some exceptions because this is 1960s television and they were right. doing what was dictated by the needs of the episode sometimes. And sometimes the storyline means uh, McCoy is a little less emotional. Sometimes uh, in one episode of Spock, it's really emotional. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that, that is the whole point of that episode. Uh, but, I, but I just enjoy their dynamics from that yeah. uh, point of view. So I had what I thought was such a smart-sounding description of that trio, but it's way worse than yours. I'm going to run with it anyway. Yeah, please do. Um, Because I feel like um, the way it's presented, leaving Klingons out. No, we'll bring Klingons in. Please. Um, Always welcome. Because Klingons are in TOS, but they don't really come to themselves until Next Generation. Yeah, it's it's Um, not the Klingons we know. (laughs) Right. Um, no, you know what? I am kicking Klingons out. In TOS, uh, there's just a lot of really thick grease paint on the, on yeah, the Klingons. Yeah, well... And in HD, it really shines. Well, <laughs> they're, they're like Enterprise, the show I forgot existed, it actually explains the... Uh, uh, the forehead differentiation. Yeah. Um, but, so, like, McCoy represents unbridled passion, and then Spock represents stone-cold logic, and then... Kirk, Kirk is, is negotiating the, between the, the two. The negotiation of those two ideas. Mm-hmm. And they really, they feel like two different aspects who are present in Kirk. Um, and it, like when he talks to Spock, he's advocating for McCoy. And when he talks to McCoy, he's advocating for Spock. And it's, I thought I was so smart when I came up with that, but then you threw Greek into the mix. And oh, no, I, just, I love I what you're saying. I, 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 <laughs> I, re- I really like that, particularly your insight that, you know, the, uh, that there are aspects of what Kirk is wrestling with. And right. whenever one's present 
in the form of McCoy or in the form of Spock, he kind of voices uh, the well, other and side. And it makes the conversations between McCoy and Spock just so delightful. Those which don't happen often. Uh, yeah. and that, I, I think that is my favorite moment in Obsession is actually the, the McCoy-Spock one-on-one. Oh, yeah. And they have like a cooperative moment. Yes. That's exceptionally rare. And, 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 and it's so great. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I think it is a highlight of that episode. Yeah. The... Um... Man, Starfleet, just like, I think about their chain of command, because it's, it's pretty well established that the doctor on board can just overthrow the captain. It was like, the captain's sick. I'm captain now. <laughs> or I guess it would go to the first I, I, I think officer. it goes to the first <laughs> officer. It's not the, the doctor suddenly steps this, in. This is a medical coup. You've heard about these. Um, but yeah, just everybody's disobeying everybody. And I, I do think checks and balances of the medical officer is interesting. I don't really know where I was going with that, but, uh, it, it does lead to some fun dramatic scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's my whole thought on that topic. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I think is interesting in, in any analysis of a character is looking at the character arc. Um, and this is one place where the Doctor Who attributes of Kirk become a, a major problem. In my mind, and I, I will defend this theory to the death, is it, your character needs to be able to say, at the beginning of the story, this is how I would have made this decision. At the end, that is how I would have made it. And if you can't show a decision that the character would have made differently, they don't have an arc. That's mm-hmm. that's the theory I'll defend with the, the blood in my veins. Um, and it's... So in Obsession, I think Kirk actually has a really clear arc. Um, it's not a great arc, but it, it, it exists, right? I think it's a little thematically problematic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, although really, I do think his relationship with uh, Garavik is is strong and well-written. Mm-hmm. Um, in Balance of Terror, I have a little more trouble doing that. Like it's Yeah, I, I think Obsession is set up to be more of a character story, and Balance mm-hmm. of Terror is a plot story. Right. That's true. Like the Enterprise beats the Romulans. Yeah. Yay. We're we're introducing a new enemy to the yeah. series. Uh this is before the Klingons get introduced, I think. I'm I'm sure someone is yelling out to me the exact episode in which Klingons <laughs> are introduced right now. Um and I, Tribbles, I, trouble tribbles. Is that the first Klingons? I think that's the first Klingons you meet. Okay. Oh, now they're gonna yell at me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, I, I, I think there's, uh, with Balance of Terror, again, I think it's dealing with more of the themes of the world, right, then, right? Yeah. Both commentary about this generation that saw World War II, so either either had been a part of World War II or knew their parents had been part of World War II, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're working through war <laughs> um, yeah. and, and some of the, the costs and price of war, which is some of my favorite moments are actually the Romulan commander kind of saying, I don't want to do this, but it's my duty to do mm-hmm. this. And having those conversations with his, uh, his, his McCoy, right? His yeah. uh, Des- Desius, is that what we said the name was? Yeah. Uh, which are great performance. Both of those um, actors are great. And they bring back oh, the Romulan great. commander yeah. as Spock's dad, which is a little confusing if you're not following That's too closely. That's why I recognize him. <laughs> yes. Oh. It's not just that they bring him back because he did so well they bring him back as someone who looks like the romulan commander <laughs> which is a little confusing at times uh but but he so styles was right is what i'm hearing oh yeah yeah <laughs> the the view screen came on spock went dad 
uh, he has a commanding performance um, yeah. as that commander. And I enjoy seeing the way they talk about war on the other side and the sacrifices that they have to make to try and win this battle, right? Like he has, the, it, clearly his best friend die, mm-hmm. you know, is that guy, I didn't mention it. One of the, the ploys that the Romulans do is putting out all uh, the wreckage from the blast they've taken, like all the debris that they have, including his body, because his friend dies, uh, his, his closest confidant dies, and he's yeah. like, put his, send his body out into space so that maybe they will think that we have, yeah. we have we've exploded well and i think he actually has a pretty clear character arc too because mm-hmm. you see even his relationship with kirk yes uh, evolves a bit yeah and they talk one-on-one at the very end uh, yeah. about kind of like what it is to be the commander yeah. <laughs> like, uh-huh. like the weight of uh of this and not just the weight of their crew but the weight of their their empire or the federation and the empire behind them and to be fully fair to star trek i actually know very few episodic tv shows or actually just any tv shows where um even the main character has an arc in every episode mm-hmm. that's that's remarkably difficult well and, and again so. we need to position this as 1960s television when right. the expectation was not soap operatic developments right. uh, interweaving uh character you know relationships that build across episodes it is you can sit down and you know you're getting kirk spot mccoy right. you know you that that was the expectation you don't need to know what season this one's from because who's dating whom or anything like that <laughs> but doesn't that kind of dig the knife deeper about obsession like what an episode that could have been a, a little bit <laughs> so um oh my life but um, I was going to say, so it's doing all that stuff with World War II, but then it's also dealing with a neutral zone and two empires that are staring at each other from other opposite sides, and what yes. happens when one encroaches on the other, which is a very 1960s theme yes, yeah. uh, to be engaging with. So I, I think uh, it's both plot and thematically um, more more relatable uh, mm-hmm. to, to that moment when it was being made. Um, and then, I mean, t- talking about some of the World War II issues that are there, it's, it's not just... Um, that there's this other, it's the second you see that other, anyone you know who looks like that becomes the enemy. And this is after, you know, 20 years after America had the Japanese internment camps, which obviously Japan was a, was acting pretty villainous in World War II. They're trying to take over the world, yes. right? So, so bad on them. But the U.S. Uh, then turned that into anyone who looks like that needs to be feared and controlled, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. And, and that's N- what nice immediately spot. we see yeah. coming from the crew is, oh, you look like our other. We lo- You look like that threat over there. And we're all going to doubt you until Captain Kirk tries to put a stop to that. You just blew my mind. That was so insightful. I can't even handle it. And I don't know how... I mean, what kind of discussions this would have, but, like, George Takei was on set, and he grew up in a Japanese... Like, he spent years in a Japanese internment camp. Yeah. Uh, and he's Whoa. sitting there on on the set of Star Trek when they're doing this episode. Yeah. And I, I can't remember... I don't, I don't remember he even has a line in this episode. I know he was there on the bridge. I can't remember what his interaction was at okay. all. Yeah. I don't remember. But, uh, you know, these these are, you know, not, like, universal themes. These are very specific themes yeah. to that moment in history. Whereas obsession, that's a more universal, broadly, you can move the idea of obsession driving you to do actions into any period. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So that one's kind of speaking to a broader issue. And again, I'm not wild about where it lands on the issue of yeah. obsession. Uh, but, but I think Balance of Terror is a very specific moment that it's addressing. Yeah. I love that. There's, um... I want to change the subject. Go ahead. Completely. Because yeah. um, I I feel like I've been a little hard on Kirk. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and while I do think there are significant problems with him as a character, I do think there's a lot to recommend him. Mm-hmm. Um, I I asked the Star Trek Club, "Hey, I'm going on this podcast uh, with uh, seven million viewers. Is that about right, listeners? I, a little low on yeah. that estimate. Okay, but. yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm sorry about that. Um, but uh, and I'm I'm going to talk about Kirk. So tell me what you like about Kirk. And it immediately devolved into who is better, Kirk or Picard. Um, Tragically, I am on the Picard side of that fence, but that doesn't, the fact that Picard is a perfect character doesn't, doesn't knock Kirk out of the running. You know, well, one thing that's yeah. interesting is it's possible to be a fan of both. I, 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 mm, I I've never seen proof of that. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, but, uh, no, the, the thing I think is interesting about Kirk, and it comes back to that, that I hope I'm correctly using the word triad. Between him and the two other characters? Is that a good use of triad? Let's run with it. Let's go It's got a root of tree. (laughs) You know, T-R-I. Right. (laughs) But, um, like, I I do think they did a good job making the different captains different personalities. And um, Picard is is everybody's dad, everybody's space dad. Like, he's reasonable and peaceful, and he's a, a strong negotiator. And, frankly, I would not describe Kirk as any of those. However, uh, Kirk is a frontier captain, mm-hmm. right? Um, he he doesn't as much have the Federation bearing down on him. And P- so he, Picard is a civilization captain. Like things are settled. Whoa, yeah. You know, the, the the Federation's all here. Yeah. Uh, Kirk is like, "Where's the outer fringe? <laughs> We're going exactly." <laughs> and and every Star Trek show, arguably not DS Nine as much, um, and Discovery is really doing its own thing, but. Um, all the real Star Trek shows uh, have the captains put in situations where there's no authority, uh, authoritarian guidance, authoritative guidance. Um, I don't know words. Words are hard. Um, That's right. It's just an audio medium. We're fine. But they have. Oh, good. <laughs> they, but they have to make command decisions and they're big philosophical choices that they're making. Um, and I think in that respect, Kirk does pretty well. Like he's a man of action when he needs to be. Mm-hmm. I think you could argue that he makes serious mistakes and that he's arrogant to a fault but you know um the and universe I, bends over backward to agree with him most of the time so he's good i think we um and some of this is different medium and different kinds of storytelling that's gonna be taking place but when we get to the films we see different sides of kirk and different facets of his leadership uh yeah. than than we do across these 79 episodes of, of tv which are you know as we said varied in quality and right some are great some are, some are like classic moments of television <laughs> like are in some of these yeah uh, uh you know that that are gonna be in you know top 10 lists and then there's some rough episodes you know cat's paw spock's brain these aren't highlights <laughs> of yeah. t- t- television yeah. history here um but i think kirk is always gonna have a place in the pantheon of like interesting characters that are part of popular culture yeah um, and some of that is because of the interactions that he has with McCoy and Spock, but I think some of it is there's just something about this confident captain that's on the edge of space <laughs> that is kind yeah. of imposing his will on the universe around him. Yes. Uh, that, that can make entertaining television. Um, and I think Star Trek successfully does engage with some heady thematic issues, uh, in a lot of these episodes. And I think Kirk being a voice for some of that and, and like you know there's gonna be the Kirk monologues that come in some of these episodes yes. and sometimes like when we say he's kind of this swaggering cowboy sometimes he does like this word 
word fighting with a computer to melt the computer, right? You know, yes. like it's not, it's not just that he goes in with phasers blazing, which is what we kind of see in Obsession and we definitely see. And, you know, like it, it's uh, violence is going to be the answer. That is not what we get in every episode of Star Trek. It's what happens to be in these two uh, that, that we're looking at. But I think we're, we are giving um, too little um, praise to Kirk if we just you know, say, oh, you know, he's he's not right. great in Obsession and uh, Balance of Terror is a really good uh, plot episode. Well, and there's something so endearing about the, the loosey-goosey nature of the original series. Because, of course, they didn't know that there was going to be six, apparently, Star Trek shows because <laughs> Enterprise got made at some point. <laughs> um, but, uh, and so... They didn't have the burden of Star Trek's history on them. And so they're like, hey, we want to do an episode about submarine warfare. Now we want to do a logic puzzle. Where and we then now we'll do Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's kind of fun. It's kind of like playing D&D with the makers of Star Trek a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, and... Um because there aren't these continuing threads that go from episode to episode, uh, there there could be some wild tonal inconsistencies yeah, from one yeah. to the next, which, like you said, is actually kind of fun yeah. uh, to have. Whereas um, with like modern storytelling, well, like there's the romantics of plot that's always going to have the same tone, and that's going to help dictate what every episode feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, from you know for you know for modern day hour long dramas, you know that's just mm-hmm. part of the, the the way it goes. Um, but with Star Trek, it's it can be a wild ride <laughs> yeah. from one to the next. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Really hard sci-fi uh, in one episode. Really philo- philosophical discussions of time travel and and uh, uh, or even in um, Bounce of Terror, like you get like this um, it, McCoy making a, a, this kind of simultaneously emotional and logical appeal about like basically there's a one in a trillion chance that you're here right now, Kirk, and <laughs> yeah. we we need you to be here right now. <laughs> like you're the one that's going to fix this problem. Uh, and uh, there's really no reason in the the history of the universe that would put you right here right now, but you're special and you're here and we need you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so there's, um, I, I think that's one of the things I actually like quite a lot about the original series. Like I, I remember um, when Deep Space Nine was airing, I got really into some of those long running plot lines that they had, you know, yes. the constant threat of the dominion from the wormhole and all these other things that, you know, seeds that were being planted years in advance of getting paid off. Yeah. And I did enjoy that kind of storytelling, but there's also something that's really nice about purely episodic. I'm just going to drop one on and, and watch an episode of Star Trek, the original series. And it doesn't matter what season it's from. It doesn't matter what episode order I'm watching it in. Cause it's just Star Trek, the original series. Well, and that's something I think is interesting is how much that's also, as you say, a product of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, because even uh, next generation, which I want to say started in 89. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, for season one, it felt like they were trying to do the original series with better graphics because they kind of felt like Riker was the main character and he's the most Kirkian character on board that Enterprise. And um, and they had just these wacky tonal shifts. And, um, and some, some rough costuming choices, which felt ooh. more like the 60s series than yes. 1990s television. <laughs> um, and admittedly, I only watched that in, oh man, 2013, I think is when I watched Next Generation. Um, and it, it doesn't play well. The first season, I hated it. They, they find their groove in the second season. Yeah. And that's, that's when it sort of took ownership of, no, we're something new. Like 60s Star Trek is for the 60s. We're 90s Star Trek. <laughs> uh. Um, yeah. Uh, any final thoughts on Captain Kirk or on Star Trek, the original series? Uh, my mother-in-law, uh, grew up on Star Trek, the original series. And she told me she was scared of the Gorn. Like in the fight with the I Gorn. I love that episode. 
the oh, arena. Oh, absolutely. I love it too, but I don't think for the same reason my mother-in-law <laughs> as a child loved it. Um, but it, it's actually, it's a fascinating thing to me. Again, talking about Star Trek being a product of its era that like when you've got an actor who clearly can't see <laughs> fighting <laughs> Kirk, um, but that, that worked. Like people were more willing to engage in the suspension of disbelief. And so I mourn for my own generation. <laughs> that, that we're just hunting for those nits to pick at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of just saying, lizard creature, how cool is this? The show says he's scary, so he's scary. <laughs> well, the eyes are creepy. There's something about the sparkly eyes oh, that, that, yeah. uh, that the Gorn has. But uh, yeah, it's not the... Um, a stealthy, fast-moving threat. No, indeed not. <laughs> Much more of a lumbering. Uh, <laughs> well, it's like a. It's like do you, the the lumbering zombie versus the fast zombie now. Like like yeah. you get it, this was the lumbering kind of zombie. Well, and I'm sure that part of the choreography was William Shatner touching that actor so he could know that he was at certain points. <laughs> yes. Boom! I'm right here. It's come like, here, I am, buddy. <laughs> it's. I don't know. I, I do love that scene, but it's it's interesting how different an experience it is for me versus my mother-in-law who watched it as a child. But, I mean, uh, speaking of the power of Star Trek, how many shows from the 1960s has no one watched an episode of in decades? <laughs> yeah. all, all of the <laughs> right. shows. But but Star Trek is still in heavy rotation in, yeah. in fandom. Uh, and uh, Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Um, and so even though there are those nits to pick and things that stand out as being from a different era of TV production, uh, it, something about it was catching lightning in a bottle, I think. And, oh, and absolutely, you know, yeah. and um, yeah, there's things that maybe rub us a little the wrong way when we watch it, but I, I still watch it. I've still shown my kids episodes of Star Trek, the original series, and I have not done that for many other shows <laughs> that are, are, are 50 years old. And people say, and I think this is a fair, not a criticism, more an observation, that Star Wars seems to have aged better than Trek because Star Wars makes no attempt to predict technology. Mm -hmm. Whereas the future technology in Star Trek looks antiquated now. Like, they didn't predict Wi-Fi, which is a pretty big one. Yeah, um, and there's still, like, reel-to-reel -reel tapes and some uh, <laughs> in a couple yeah, episodes. Yeah. Uh, but then they had also, like, the communicators, obviously, for the 60s. That wasn't happening. And they got that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're already there. And, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, there's a weird hit and miss of the um, prescience for the future. Yeah. The the thing... Oh, like, at the beginning of... Uh, I love this. At the beginning of yeah. Balance of Terror, there, uh, is it Scotty setting up this giant camera on the wall saying, we're going to broadcast this to the whole ship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like a TV camera is being mounted on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> the whoa broadcasting video <laughs> um but no the the thing that i i think let star trek sort of pass muster is that the solutions in the original series especially even compared to the other star trek shows are rarely technological they're usually human solutions like um and and the two episodes we looked at if we if we assume that kirk took the right course of action and obsession <laughs> then it's because of kirk's boldness and bravery and willingness to stand against the odds that they were victorious it didn't have really the technology was part of it but it wasn't it wasn't the fulcrum yeah of, of what and in balance of terror like if they almost like they they use this cloaking technology which i think that, i mean this is the first time they're on so this must be the first time there is cloaking technology in surgery and they're really just using it to tell us the submarine war story right, right. To, to to have these ships hunting each other and they make reasons why the romulans can't really quite see the enterprise right and they have the cloaking technology so the enterprise can't see the romulans um and so the technology is there but it's actually to tell kind of an older story yeah <laughs> right? yeah and that i think that's part of why it stood stood the test of time here is it 
for all its weird kookiness, it, it asks big questions and it tells human stories. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Kevin, for coming on and talking Pleasure. about Captain Kirk and Star Trek, the original series. Now, you are a first time guest on the protagonist podcast, not oh, yeah. not okay. a one time guest. You're going to be coming back. Uh, but I'm whenever excited. we have first time guests, we do like to ask them a question. Our podcast is all built around great characters and great stories. So we always ask if you could have a dinner party with any five characters that you just want to hang around with to enjoy the conversation. What fictional characters would you want to have with you? So here are my follow-up questions, because this is important. Okay. Um, is there any chance these characters will fall in love with me? Uh, we specifically say just to enjoy the conversation, because we don't want to know who you have crushes on. Okay. <laughs> but but, uh, but sure, I guess that's a possibility in your headcanon. That, that can happen. Okay, cool. Well, uh, I have plenty of fans. Because otherwise, there'd just be a lot of people saying, well, I always had a crush on this character when I was <laughs> growing up. So Scarlett Johansson and... <laughs> Um, uh, and then am I safe? Are they going to hurt me at this? Oh, like if you have a serial killer uh, in your group? Uh, Yeah. This is a safe dinner party. This is a a neutral, you know, it's safe and, and it's agnostic as to whether they'll fall in love with me. I'm going to assume not. I'm Mm -hmm. here for the conversation. Not right. for them falling in love with. Yes. Them. All right. Cool. That does that does wipe out a fair fair number. I mean, of feel options. free to still have them there, but. <laughs> um, okay. So Daenerys Targaryen would be high on my list. Okay. Um, because I think she's an interesting expression of power and stubbornness. For any listeners who are unaware, could you give? Oh, the, I'm sorry. Uh, so she is from uh, George R. R. Martin's book series uh, "Song of Ice and Fire," or uh, if you're not as hipster as I am, the TV show "Game of Thrones." <laughs> um, both really great. Um, I wiped a tear. Sorry, that doesn't translate to radio. Uh, And yeah, she is one of many aspirants to the throne in in a kingdom that's going through a succession crisis. All right. Uh, Um, Who else do you have coming? So I would definitely invite Pam Beasley. From The Um, Office? Yes. The Jenna Fisher character? Yeah. Um, I also wouldn't mind having dinner with Jenna Fisher. She talks about acting a lot. It seems interesting. But she's a non-fictional character. So she's out of the running. Out of the running. Um, Definitely uh, The Doctor from Doctor Who. Do you have a version of The Doctor you would want? Oh, boy. That is actually pretty tough. I mean, the temptation to kill him at the dinner just to see his next form would be <laughs> would be significant. So you could have two versions of the Doctor with you, right? Um, yeah, I haven't <laughs> seen... Like to go David Tennant to Matt Smith? Go ahead. Have David Tennant there for the first course. Oh, no, that's... Kill a, him. Because those are probably my two favorite Doctors. Yeah. I mean, you know, I stand out from the crowd. I, I like how you were worried they were going to attack you, and now we have you murdering one of your guests just so you can see his next form. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't ask about that if I'm allowed to attack them, but I assumed I was um yeah but i'd go with david Tennant. okay i can kill him get to matt smith and then peter capaldi you know get through all of them and then i know i can't remember her name the newest doctor you know in our last recording we talked about this and i cannot remember i just haven't watched any of the, i haven't seen any of the peter capaldi season yet uh so i'm behind He's surprisingly good yeah I mean, i'm behind on my doctor who yeah. um the the actress who plays the new doctor was in uh, Broadchurch. Broadchurch. Yeah. Um, which is a great I sad series. Hated. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's, uh, my wife loved it, which was a pretty so big did, red flag. Did you hate it because you, you, you didn't like what it made you feel? <laughs> yes. That, yes. Okay. Not because you thought um, it was low quality or anything. No, the acting was out of this world good, but, uh, I don't, I don't do very well on that kind of show. It's, uh, uh anyway. All right. Um, okay. So we've got Doctor Who. We've got Pam Beasley. We've got Daenerys Targaryen. Um, okay. Going to fill it out with Han Solo. Harrison Ford's Han Solo from the original Star Wars movies. So it's so not Force Awakens Han Solo. Uh, yeah. Well, look, he's okay. <laughs> he'd be, if, if, 
if young Harrison Ford isn't available, then elderly Harrison Ford would be okay. And here's the twist. Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. Oh, so you're going to have uh, both Indiana Jones and Hans Solo. I just want to see what happens. Yeah. Like, especially because you, you've undoubtedly heard the fan theory that Indiana Jones is Han Solo's carbonite dream. Yes. When he's frozen carbonite, he yeah. has this weird vision of himself as a 1940s archaeologist. So, I mean, not a good archaeologist, but no. <laughs> 1940s archaeologist. But, like, would that cause a wormhole? Would that destroy the universe? Or are they just two different characters who look and act identically? Hmm. And then, if so, would they kill each other? You're asking big questions at this dinner party. Yeah. No. Oh, wait. I want one more. Genghis Khan from Mulan. <laughs> okay. Um, because I just want him to make puns about killing soldiers all the time. How many men does it take to deliver a message? I know that's not a pun, but I would just be like, tell me another one about how much you hate China, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. He's wonderful. Are you looking forward to the live action Mulan film that Disney's uh, doing? Sure. (laughs) I really like Mulan, the animated movie, and the live action one can't possibly change that. So I I like that. You're you're not one of the fans who says something kills your childhood. No, no, not your childhood still existed, right? It still happened. Still happened. (laughs) The thing you loved is still available. (laughs) Yeah, I I can't imagine I'm going to like it, but I don't even know if I'll watch it. I don't know where I was going with that, but I, I don't know if I'll like it, but I also won't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't have a lot of info other than they're making it right now. <laughs> right. I just I just found out that Dumbo became a live action movie. Did you know that happened? Yeah, that was several weeks ago. It was yeah. uh, one of Andrew's picks on our fantasy box office. He was disappointed with the critics' feelings about the live action Dumbo. <laughs> <laughs> also not wild about the box office receipts. I mean, it, it didn't flop. It's not like no one went to see it. It just wasn't setting the box office on fire. Yeah. The way my next pick, Avengers Endgame, is going to. Oh, yeah. No, that's right. <laughs> I, I feel safe with that one doing well. All right. I think that's a safe bet. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Kevin, for joining us. And thank you, listeners, for downloading this episode to listen. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 10. That's years ago at this point, when we, we talked about Geordi LaForge in Star Trek The Next Generation. Or episode number 224, when we talked about Starship Troopers, a different kind of science fiction that's still dealing with a lot of themes. Uh, you can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at Jadorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Dizminute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Kevin, is there anything you want to plug uh, for this episode of the Protagonist Podcast? There totally is. Um, at the time of this recording, we only have one episode out. But uh, I am on a podcast called Dice Buddies, where I play Dungeons and Dragons uh, with Tori Pence from Studio C, uh, Zach Atherton, who owns an improv comedy theater, uh, Tanner Rolf, who's a stand-up comedian, and then uh, Rena Mira, who's a cosplayer. I think we're pretty great. <laughs> uh, we sometimes sing. This episode is actually dropping really close to recording, so you may have two episodes out. <laughs> with it's this it's, one it's possible. <laughs> is Dice Buddies going to be a weekly D&D uh, We're currently planning on publishing every two weeks. Okay. Uh, we all have nightmare schedules, yes. so we'll it's see hard. how we do. Hard to get together sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we invite our listeners to go find that. Do you have a webpage or anything for that? Uh, not yet. I was just looking to see if we owned a domain on the drive over here. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I work on the internet while I drive like every safe person. Don't do that. No. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> here's here's the true story. I checked it before coming here. 
when I was in the bathroom. <laughs> that's that's on the radio. <laughs> um, but we're I don't know how you think this is distributed as a podcaster yourself. <laughs> uh, so, but if you, if you go to but you, it is not on the radio. <laughs> if you go to YouTube, everything's radio. Um, if you go to YouTube, look up Dice Buddies, like B- Dice Friends. We're one of the channels with that name. <laughs> and Domain uh, coming soon. Is Dice Buddies available through uh, iTunes? or Not yet. The, uh, the... Um, I've been talking to our tech guy about getting that done, but it hasn't happened yet. So okay. right now we are exclusively on YouTube. All right. But uh, sounds like you had a good group there. Recommend it. Uh, and have thoroughly enjoyed having you on this episode of the Protagonist Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you again for listening. Uh, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long.